this beyond a, a few different passages. I mean, they're, they're thorough in what they cover, of course, but you know, we have passages in 1 Corinthians that talk about how the early church would meet together and some of the items that would go on in the assembly. You have the book of Acts where it has different um, references to different early Christian uh, assemblies. And then there's a passage over in the book of 1 Timothy that we don't normally look at from this angle, but in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and in verse 13, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young preacher who's helping to lead that church there in Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. This right here is probably a very good pattern for what biblical preaching is. It is the reading and presentation of God's Word and, and an explanation of it, and then an exhortation from it, you know, to follow it and to put it into practice. What I want to do tonight, before we get into the exhortation portion of our lesson, is I want to read together publicly, I want to read out loud, you know, a passage of Scripture that we're going to be dealing with tonight from the book of Romans. So if you would, follow along with me in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then that's going to set the stage for what we're going to be looking at and dealing with tonight. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore... Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult and hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, Christ died for the right time for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That passage there sets the stage for the question that I want us to look at tonight. And it was a question that, it's kind of funny how I, I saw some people dealing with this. I came across a website, and the website was debate.org. And now as a preacher, I'm drawn to, you know, people arguing. So it was debate.org, and I found this website. And on there, people can put a question or a concept or an idea, and with this idea, then people can debate it. I know you're thinking, I thought that's what we all did on Facebook, but here was a little bit more kind of organized with it. So someone will present an idea, and then on both sides, it's in different colors. The green is agree, the red is disagree, and you present your arguments following. Well, the question that was posed on this website was, can one person change the world? And a lot of people are arguing back and forth. They're saying, well, it's impossible for one person alone to change the world. And other people are saying, well, no, one person can enact change. They're presenting all these different arguments. And what people were doing is they were presenting arguments and examples throughout history of individuals that they believed changed the world, whether it's good or bad. 
You know, some people are saying, well, Hitler changed the world. It was evil, it was bad. He, he, he changed the world by exterminating, you know, a whole bunch of people, but he did change the world. But then over here they're saying, well, what about someone like, like Martin Luther who started the Reformation movement or, or someone over here, a great teacher or Gandhi and all these different people throughout history, they're saying, well, didn't they too change the world? And with that in mind, as we're looking at Romans chapter 5 tonight, I think Romans chapter 5 answers the question of, is it possible for something that one person does to enact change on the world? I think it is true that it, that it will happen that way. So what I want us to do tonight is, as what, what me and Nick are doing is on Sunday nights, we're taking turns going through a different chapter of the book of Romans and trying to draw from it. Tonight, I think we will see that Romans chapter 5 answers the question that, yes, it is possible for one person to change the world. And what the Apostle Paul does here in this chapter is he presents two examples of people who changed the world. Number one, he's going to give the example of Adam. And number two, he's going to give the example of Jesus. Two individuals, I know Jesus being God in the flesh isn't at the same level as Adam, but yet at the same time, these two individuals changed the world. Now, with a little bit of a backdrop of this, remember, the book of Romans is written to a congregation, a church like us, in Rome that's divided. You have Jewish Christians and you have Gentile Christians, and they're not getting along. You had the Jewish Christians who kind of had an air of superiority about them. They're saying, well, we have the law. We've kept it perfectly. We're obedient to it. We were justified by it. Therefore, God likes us better. And then the Gentiles were over here saying, well, you Jews thought that you were justified by law keeping, but even then it was by faith. And so what Paul does is the first, oh, 10 chapters of this entire book is kind of Paul saying, hey, you're both sinners and you both need Jesus. But in the midst of all of that, he has this discussion about Jesus and Adam. And it's kind of a complicated discussion. In fact, he uses some phrases that are difficult to wrap our minds around. He compares gift to condemnation and justification to transgression and righteousness and so on. So there's some heavy terms in there. But within it, I think we can see this idea that it is possible for individuals to change the world. Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 5. And in verse 12, we're introduced to Adam. Now, I know we're aware of Adam. We know the story of Adam. Adam and Eve, the first people there in the Garden of Eden. Adam, the Hebrew word for man, Adam, he is the first man. He's there in the garden. He's given a task to tend to it and to follow God's will. God gave Adam and Eve a law. The law was you can eat whatever you want, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam did what? He ate from it. He disobeyed God's law. And because of that, sin started in the world. And there's consequences to that. Adam and Eve, humanity is kicked out of that paradise. And now we spend basically all of our human existence following God, being reconciled out of our sin in order to get back to that tree of life the book of Revelation proposes for us. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man, the one man being Adam, we read on here later, just through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, all in the book of Romans usually isn't referring to Jew and Gentile, saying, look, all people, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what background, you all equally are guilty of sin. But he lays it down on kind of the feet of Adam here. It's not that Adam caused us to sin. 
It's not that we inherit necessarily Adam's sin, as some might propose, but it's the idea that Adam was the first sinner. He kind of got that ball rolling now where he sinned, and then generations after him sinned. You know, Cain and Abel sinned, right? After that, they sinned. Flood happens, more sin and more sin and more sin all the way down to us today, myself included, we talked about this morning, right? Some of the sins we struggle with, and we all now are guilty of sin, but really, before Adam sinned, the world was different. Before that first sin, mankind was able to dwell in God's paradise there in Eden and exist, I think, forever in that paradise. But that one sin changed it all. That one sin brought death into the world. That one sin brought pain and suffering, agony and hardship and all those different things that sin brings about from that one sin onward. Look at verse 18. It says, So then as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men. From that sin onward, condemnation then spread to everyone. And all of us too are guilty of the same thing. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and just like as in Adam, the text will say here in other passages, we will all die. That's right, spiritual death occurs and even physical death is a consequence of sin. One person's sin can change the entire world. It did with Adam, of course, but even think about maybe in more of a, our own scale in our own life. Think about the sins of one person and the consequences that they might have. Think about families who are affected by the sin of one person. Maybe, maybe dad was abusive or an addict or, or uh, neglected his family or something. Wasn't there. The sins of that one individual, do they have consequences on lots of people? Yeah. Do they spread for generations? Oftentimes they do. Why is it that you see, you know, people that come out of backgrounds uh, of abuse and violence perpetuating that same behavior? It's because the sins of one person can go on. It, they, they continue. People follow that example. They see what they're taught, and it goes on for generations. The sins of one person can change the world. It did with Adam. It happened on all of humanity. Now, if Adam didn't do it, someone else was going to do it, but he did, and sin started. And when one person sins, it changes the world. On the flip side, though, what about when one person follows Jesus? As I was sitting there on the pew preparing to come up here um, you know, for this lesson, I looked down in the audience and I saw that there's a lot of families here represented by multi-generations of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know who the first person in your family was to follow our Lord, but somebody did. And that person converted someone else. And that person converted someone else, and they raised up faithful children. And those children had faithful children and faithful grandchildren and so on. The faithfulness of one person changed the world. The question is, how are we going to change it? So example number one, Adam's sin changed the world. Example number two, though, is Jesus. In comparison to Adam, we have Jesus being presented here. Now, Paul's going to make, if you read back on your own time, you know, verses 12 through 17, he's going to really build upon this illustration. And he's going to talk about how death reigned from Adam and so on, and how Jesus brings life, and how Jesus is like Adam and so on. I know it's hard to wrap our mind around. But basically, 
It's that Adam brought the consequences of sin to all mankind, and Jesus took care of them, is kind of what Paul is laying out there. Whether or not you comprehend all the illustration he makes, I know it's a little bit difficult. But verse 18, he says, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. Adam made it possible for all people to reap the consequences of sin. Jesus made it possible for all people to reap the benefit of his sacrifice, to reap justification, to be able to be right before God, to be able to have our sins taken away. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. When Adam sinned, condemnation and death spread. And it just kept on spreading. And every time anybody else sinned, that, that act of Adam is repeated. The sins of Adam are keep going. Now, we're not going to sin the exact way he did, but you know what? We kind of do. We're disobeying God, right? And the consequences of it, spiritual death, separation from God, all of that is the consequences of sin that can be funneled up to the first sin that was ever committed, which was Adam. And from that, we just kept on following the example of our spiritual forefather, right? But then we come to Jesus. Jesus comes, and one man did one act, and I know that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's not just man. He's also God. But that one man, Jesus Christ, did one thing that made it possible for it to spread out to all humanity. And the same that the one sin kept trickling down, and we all just kept doing the same thing, Jesus committed one act upon the cross that made it possible for salvation to be spread toward all people. In fact, it says, because of the obedience of the one, the end of verse 19, many will be made righteous. The question is, who do we want to follow, right? 